You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, guys? It's Matt Wilson coming to you with another episode of the Live Different Podcast. And this year, I am making a recommitment to the show notes on my personal website at mattwilson.co to help you get all of the resources that you need from these episodes to take your understanding to the next level. Today, I have an amazing guest. Her name is Terry Cochran. She is an internationally known author, nutritionist, and certified coach. She has really helped me step up my game when it comes to eating wild game. Also, just understanding what we put in our body and how that affects you at a real deep cellular level. I'm not going to spoil the rest of the episode, but uh, it's a really, really good one. She's one of my favorite guests and uh, her book, The Wildatarian Diet, was absolutely excellent. And uh, I'm also so excited in 2020 because I'm going to be making a recommitment not only to the show notes, but also to pushing out more video content on YouTube, starting a second podcast specifically on travel in conjunction with the launch of my first book coming up, The Millennial Travel Guidebook. A lot of exciting things on the horizon. I would love to hear from you. Why don't you send me an email directly, matt at under30experiences.com. I would love to hear from you. Want to really interact with our community this year and just tell me what you're up to in 2020. That would be amazing. Even if you're listening to this in the archives since 2023 or whatever, would love to hear from you. Hit me up, matt at under30experiences.com. Thank you guys so much. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson. And today we're here with Terry Cochran. Terry is an integrative practitioner. She is a certified coach practitioner. She is an herbologist, a functional nutritionist, and the author of The Wildatarian Diet, a book that I have really enjoyed. Uh, it was packed with so much information that I read it twice, and I have been doing my very best uh, to follow all of her tips in there. And today, we just want to give the everyday person who would like to make small changes in their life allow them to really, really be able to, to get insurmountable results, if you will. I think that these are a lot of little changes that Terry has really actionable items that people can go out and do. And we might get deep in the science later in the conversation, but Terry has an amazing story. She worked in the corporate world for a while as a risk manager. And uh, well, Terry, I'll stop talking about you and let, let you go ahead and, and tell us more about yourself. Terry, welcome. Thank you so much for being on with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, hello to your audience, Matt. No, th- thank you very much. And yeah, I'm, I'm so excited that you were able to, to join us, of course. I was really excited, uh, heard about your work, and I've been interested in, of course, kind of this concept of somebody coined this term rewilding. I heard it maybe five years ago, and I thought, yeah, you know what? We really are living on these basically factory farms where we are just here, seem to be just here on this planet to produce some type of output, whether it's for our governments or whether it's for the companies or whether it's just as, you know, that's kind of how we are raised as a species. We're not really wild animals anymore, sadly. And I went down to Costa Rica and lived for about seven years in the jungle. And I got in touch with that through travel. You know, I was able to improve my health and then, you know, been able to see the world at just bigger picture and and really been a lot more concerned about uh, the planet and the health of something we are so integrated with. So your work really resonated with me. And I'd love to, if you could share just quickly your story, because it sounded like you were in the corporate world with a whole lot of responsibility. And uh, now you've, you've sought out a path of deeper meaning, it looks like. Uh, yes, that's absolutely true, Matt. Thanks for that question. And sometimes you you never see what is before you when something right in front of you seems insurmountable. 
And so, as you noted, I had a corporate career and I ran a business unit for one of the uh, largest uh, financial institutions here in the United States. And when uh, my first son was born by the age of three, we were told to brace for brain seizures, that he would not grow past five foot four, that he would be impaired and he had life-threatening asthma, bleeding eczema, failure to thrive. When he was three, uh, we were told he had the bone density of an 18-month-old. And he was really working through some significant issues. He wasn't really talking very much and he walked very late. And so we went down the allopathic route of traditional medicine, wherein he was given steroids and antibiotics and bronchial dilators and creams and more steroids. And by the age of five, this little boy was really falling off of the cliff. And that is when I decided that being a risk manager for a billions of dollars of assets, that I would translate those skill sets into becoming a risk manager for his health. And being a solution seeker, as I am a Cuban refugee, where my family instilled in me a solution-seeking mindset rather than, well, this is the way, this is the lot that we've been dealt and this is we're not going to advance in life. I was really girded with that philosophy and I believe that that really was a linchpin in me taking a bold step and saying, well, this is not acceptable. And even though I'm not a medical professional, I'm going to do research and I'm going to try to figure this out. And so what we found is within five days of feeding him differently, taking away peanuts and corn and gluten and dairy and citrus, he started breathing. And fast forward now, he's 25. He uh, was able to graduate at the top of his class. He won gold medals at the Junior Olympics in karate. He was a scholar at one of the top public ivies here in Virginia. And so, you know, that boy that I was told could never be that was more than that. Wow. That's, that's really incredible. Hats off to you, of, of course. And I'd love to ask, you know, I guess this would have been over 20 years ago now at this point, as I, as your son has graduated, did you know much about this world of integrative health and, and functional medicine, or were you just doing your thing as a risk manager in, in the corporate world and maybe never had a, any idea that this stuff existed? I really didn't know that any of this stuff existed. I just started researching why is the body doing what it's doing, going to libraries, interviewing parents, interviewing other doctors, and really just the internet was just starting to come on board. There wasn't a lot out there. Google wasn't yet there. If it was, I didn't know how to use it. Um, so it was quite a lot of research. And I had never studied anything related to science. I did take some some classes in, in college, but it wasn't my concentration at all. It was institutional finance. I also minored in French. So it wasn't anything that was in really in my paradigm at the time. Well, that's that's amazing. First of all, that you had to go to a library. I mean, I'm th I just turned 34, so uh, I've been to plenty of libraries in my life, but that seems like a long time ago. There's not a whole lot of need when you have Google, as as you said. But now we have the tools at our fingertips, and this stuff is just taking off. And uh, now you're able to to spread the word about this stuff on podcasts and through your book and your your Instagram and and all of these things so it's just really exciting that you're able to to spread the words on this stuff uh, but I wanted to ask you before we dive into the kind of the actionable health stuff more about risk management because people you know I'm someone who tries not to get frustrated in my everyday life when talking to my friends and family, the people who I'm surrounded with uh, for most of the time, about this, these types of things where maybe they just don't, well, I know that they don't find it as important as I do to do things like reduce the amount of plastics in their life. Let's just use that as, as one example. Or I, I just 
you know, as I don't love to admit it, but I spent a lot of my weekend researching pesticides and Christmas trees. Right. And the the evidence is just insane uh, out there for how bad pesticides are and that they're being sprayed on Christmas trees. It's just out there for anybody to Google and, and find out. But when people ask like, hey, do you really think that's doing anything for you? Or what about all those supplements you take? Do you, do you really feel the difference? Or, you know, the question I, I really like is, doesn't this drive you insane? Because it does to a point uh, as long as I let it. But my response usually is, well, I'm a owner of an adventure travel company and there is a lot of risk management involved. Someone falls off a cliff, flips out of their whitewater raft, God knows what. Well, there's a lot of risk involved. And so I'm constantly trying to manage that risk. So when applied to health, it seems very easy. So could you talk a little bit more about how your life as a risk manager translated probably pretty seamlessly to this maybe systems thinking approach as well? It really did. And so the way that I manage risk was through an algorithm of if this then, you know, it's, it is a, it is a tree of a mind mapping of what one system is related to another system. And in my case, when I managed large real estate portfolios, we looked at, well, how is this risk down to the end game of the disposition of the asset through sale or making it a security, and then how does that security perform over time, and how do we manage the risks through analysis, right? Because it's all about being detectives of where might this thing go sideways, and how do we protect against that? And so similarly in the body, first, I believe that we have to understand what we do, how the body operates. Now, we don't have to be biochemists. We don't have to be rooted in uh, anatomy and physiology, but I believe because we live with this body every day. It is constantly sending feedback mechanisms to us. And so the first thing to do is to start listening and start observing and becoming curious around what is my body telling me? You know, if I wake up and I'm stiff and my eyes are swollen, then I might have some issues related to lymphatic function right? So there may have been lymph that's lodged in my elbows or where my joints occur, where there's natural fluid there in the bursa. And similarly, if I wake up and I've got yellow around my mouth, now most people don't know this, but any yellowing of the, of the body goes to high bilirubin, which goes to liver. And so if I feel yellow, my eyes aren't white, if there's yellowing around my mouth in particular, yellowing in my skin, that could be my liver's not working well. And then a big truth teller is our stool. You know, we should look at our stool every day. Is it doing what it's supposed to do? Is it light colored? Is it floating? That could be fat metabolism issues. Is there undigested food? That could be the fact that you're not digesting protein. If you work out and you're not building muscle, again, you may not be breaking down those proteins into amino acids to be recombined to make more muscle for you. If you're burping a lot, that means that you're not producing potentially hydrochloric acid to break down that protein. So it's really becoming, how do I manage risk? We now know that in Alzheimer's in particular, the body starts breaking down 15 to 20 years before we see our first symptom. And so what I do, whether I'm trying to help somebody overcome Hashimoto's or get them to the Olympics, I optimize the individual's potential in their body whether it is to drop time in the water or to get out of a wheelchair or to have a baby or two or two or two. Yesterday, I actually, someone from the, a podcast that you heard me first on, the Greenfield podcast, this woman had Hashimoto's and after two visits with her, she's had it for over a decade. Her husband actually wrote me saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Her hormones are normalized. Wow. And it's going to save us such, you know, deleterious health issues down the road. Now, was that Hashimoto's? Did it happen overnight? Absolutely not. The body was showing symptomology along the way that was subtle, but we didn't know that there was risk involved. And so we didn't know how to manage it. And so my goal with all of my clients really is to be an educator because as we are informed, 
then we can make decisions back to that if this than right in managing risk yes. we can make an informed decision but what we want to do is we want to make an informed decision based on the risk that we're willing to take on any one certain thing knowing that we can also then go back and mitigate that risk the next day that's great and uh yeah i can't wait to to again get into the nuts and bolts and action items that people can take away cuz people hear things like oh yeah how can I digest my proteins better and finally be able to build the muscle that I want? And we can get to that in a moment, but I back on the, the systems thinking. So you had an algorithm for managing risk when you were evaluating securities, it, it sounds like, in your financial life. But then you came up with the Cochrane method. And I, I'm not familiar what your, your method actually is, but it sounds like a system for, as you said, helping people reach their potential. I'd love to hear how you developed this system and kind of maybe put it on paper. Maybe is there a decision tree? Is it that advanced? Uh, yeah, I would, I would love to hear. Well, Yes, in my practice, we see people from all over the world and we see people with very, very complex health issues, as many of the ones that I've noted. And what I developed, I developed the Cochrane method through really my clients. I've been in practice for 16 years now. And as the solution seeker that I am, even with the body of knowledge that I accumulated through my practical education, through my books, and through my degrees and so forth, I felt that that was a wonderful foundational structure. But what I learned was when people were coming to me with certain conditions and I was using those tools, it wasn't enough. And so it wasn't really making me follow it to the end state. And well, why is the body doing it? So yes, you may have a hormone, dis hormone dysregulation. And so even in the world of functional medicine, you would treat it, oh yes, we have a TPO, which is a thyroid antibody, and we have a sluggish thyroid stimulating hormone, so we're going to treat it hormonally. Well, but why did the thyroid do that? And so what I developed is the Cochrane method. It starts with what is our genetic tendency? What are our genetic tendencies? What are our genetic blueprinting? And then I developed four portals that I feel cover the vast majority of the why. And so what expresses the genes to have the body create a symptomatic condition? And so the way that I created it was first, it's a pathogenic load. And those pathogens can be viral, they can be bacterial, they can be fungal, and they can be parasitic. And so then that's one bucket. The second bucket is our environmental exposure. And that can be toxins, it can be heavy metals, it can be parabens, it can be the excess nitrogen, it can be the glyphosate, which is found in Roundup, so liberally split right here in the United States. Food, of course. And so the toxic burden from an environmental perspective. The third piece, which is very important in, in the, the world of epigenetics and neuroscience and even quantum physics is now starting to understand that our thoughts create a deleterious or beautiful effect on the body. We now know that our thinking can actually increase our immune system or decrease our immune system in real time. It can signal genes. And so I say the thought creates the thing. And if we don't have our thinking and our attitude in the right space, it's going to be a lot harder to get everything else right because you're creating a signaling response and down-regulating the wrong genes or gene polymorphisms against your favor, which will then not allow you to reach that optimal health. And then that the fourth element is a physical impact to the body that can have, again, an expression of either a hit to the head that can dislodge the pituitary, that can cause the autonomic nervous system to overfire. I actually had a gentleman who came in to see me who had, he was a very, used to be a very fit man and ran and owned multiple gyms across the Metro DC area and beyond. And when he came to see me the prior 18 months, he'd been suffering from just idiopathic, meaning we misunderstood or not known the origin of a massive GI dysfunction. He'd gone to every GI doctor in the area and nobody could seem to figure him out. And he was having 15 stools a day and he'd lost 30 pounds of weight and he'd lost his musculature. He could barely get up the stairs. And this is a 30, I'm sorry, he was a 45 year old man, but had been previously very fit. 
Well, we were able to figure out that he had taken an elbow to the eye in a basketball game, which trips his vasovagus nerve, which caused a neuro dysfunction in his gut. Whoa. And so he basically just reset his system. And within a week, he was feeling better. And he still sends me what I call it a love text. He's surfing in <laughs> Maui and he's like, Terry, I'm just thinking about you. And he knows he's back to optimal health. That's amazing. And four buckets are what constitutes the Cochrane method and how then the algorithm that I've created, which is proprietary, uh, but I hope to educate the masses in uh, late 2020 with this, really gets to the why. That's excellent. And I can't wait to to get into kind of some of this psychosomatic stuff where what you are thinking really does affect what the food that goes into you and all of that. But I do want to ask, do you have any tips for people who would like to develop better systems in their own life, better systems mindsets? It's something that I think about at work all the time. And uh, we have a, a CFO who mentors us and says, guys, you're a big, not a big company, but a multi-million dollar, still small company at this point. You can't just make decisions on your gut anymore. You have way too many systems. Our company is like a complex organism, like the body or like the planet. So we have to start developing a real good algorithm, if you will, or method or decision-making process. One of the things that we do is frame everything through our set of values, which I think is really important. But how can people who are just listening, just everyday people who want to do better with their health or just how they live their life or in their business, develop that systems mindset a little better? That's a great question. The first thing is creating a practice around it. Because something that's practiced becomes a bit habitual and then it becomes second nature. And the way that I do it is I look at all of the systems that have different frequencies within our bodies. And as I scan my body with whatever it is that I'm thinking about, and let's just say I'm thinking about partnering with someone or a company or something, I start with my intellectual mind. How does that feel there? And then I go to my intuitive mind. Does that feel in alignment? When I tap into that part of my body, is it aligned with my thinking? If I get to my throat, which is where I speak the truth, will I be able to speak the truth with this partnering in my gut, which is my power chakra? Is this in alignment? And then my creative centers down in that second chakra, I do a very quick, a very quick assessment in every parts of those bodies, this decision in alignment with all parts of me. And if it's a yes, then I'm going. If it's not in any one of them, then I speak to, well, wow, am I really, am I not going to be able to speak authentically? Or am I really giving up my power? Am I going to lose my creativity? Or am I going to be in alignment with my intuitive nature? And so then I put it as a placeholder and I think about, well, how do I reconstruct that if I want to move forward? That's a really quick way of doing it. Another kind of overarching is whenever we think about something, is this thing, whatever it is, whether I'm going to choose this water from a of a mason jar that's been filtered or a plastic that has parabens, when I go and I touch this, do I feel expansive or do I feel contractive? And if the body contracts, if you feel, we have such an intelligent system. It is a brilliant machine. We're so underutilizing our body signals. So that's just that quick check-in. That is brilliant. And yeah. For the listener who might not be as in touch with their intuition as you, how can they tell that it's not fear, that they didn't just hear, oh my God, plastics are bad. I freeze up every time I see something that's plastic because that's no way to walk around the world. No. What I say is fear interferes with truth. Okay. And if you're making a decision from a place of fear, you're always more than likely going to make the wrong decision because when we are in a state of fear, we actually can lose up to 50 points of IQ. So fear makes us dumber. Sure. <laughs> and so what I would offer is if you're afraid about something, why is it? Is it that I don't know enough and maybe I just need to do some research? Is it really, am I afraid because it's such an anathema to my own paradigms. And are these paradigms serving me? Or are they not? And so again, I think the way to deconstruct fear is to become informed. Sure. And so it does take a little bit of 
self-responsibility to say, you know, this is important to me. So before I make a decision or before I get afraid of something and run from it or run to it, let's just get some more info on this. Let's do some recon. That makes sense. Yeah, let's do some recon from some people that I trust, from from companies that I trust, from sources that I trust. No, that's really great. And there's just so much fear in the unknown. And that's something that I do is I just try to go to who's the filter for me. That's why I listen to people like Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield, where I heard about your work is because I say, okay, if these two guys are a pretty good filter for the rest of us. And if they get past them, okay, well then that's probably pretty good information. And now I'll look into it. So I think that's really neat. And I would offer a distinction between turbulence and fear, because there may be times in our life where things seem turbulent and out of sorts. But what I would offer in that circumstance is something is rising up to be changed, to be looked at, Get curious around that. So why is this turbulent? Why are these circumstances presenting themselves before me that appears to be turbulent? What can I learn from it? Where is the good in this? And look to the curiosity around why it's coming forth. That's great. And yeah, it seems like all this is really based in awareness and just trying to dig into this stuff and learn a little bit more. Terry, I think this is a great place to be able to transition uh, into maybe this concept of intuitive eating that people hear about so much. And some people, uh, you'll talk to people who are seem to be in, in great shape and kind of feel their way through their diets. And they seem to make the right decisions for themselves because they just have a good handle on what they should and should not be eating. So First of all, do you think this is a good approach? Because as you just said, you can kind of look at a scenario and feel it out and say, should I maybe ask yourself, should I be eating this or should I not be eating this? And perhaps your body has that innate ability to discern. I'm not sure. Would you recommend that to people? I think you have to be well-trained. And I will tell you, my son, who's grown up under this philosophy, is a very, very intuitive eater. I mean, he can go in and get close to something and say, how does this feel in my body? And then he'll say, no, I don't want to eat this today, or I do want to eat this today. I'm very proud of him for that. Uh, Very intuitive with his eating. However, I think we have to be really understanding the body signals and knowing what they are before we just jump to it. Because, for example, chocolate has a lot of serotonin which is great. So it may give us a little bit of a serotonin rush. But if you have a lot of mold and you have some certain genetic predispositions that don't allow you to break down oxalates, which then can create more trouble in the body through arthritis or kidney stones or gallstones or mental instability or dysfunction, is that that chocolate might give you that serotonin hit And then you crash one from a sugar perspective, but then you could be building oxalate. So we have to look at not only the immediate, what did it made me feel like right in the immediate sense, but what did I feel like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour later? And so just again, tuning in and again, being an individual, not because your best friend or your husband said, hey, I really tried this and you have to try this because it was super worked for me. And I tried the keto diet and it worked well, and you're like four weeks into the keto diet and feeling like crap, because in your specific case, you're less robust assimilator of fats, especially if you're a woman and you're on your cycle and you're eating all this fat and you're like, I can't think. And the reason being is you can't get the fats to your brain because you've you've hit your tipping point on the body's ability to process fats. So the body gives us feedback. And what I did is I developed through the wildatarian diet, a simple quiz that has you start thinking about body talk. What did my body tell me and what does that mean? And so so you can be an informed intuitive eater rather than a ricochet rabbit, did I hit the target intuitive eater and you got a blindfold on. So it's gonna be a hit or miss. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, all right, let's get into this wildatarian concept. And the first question that I wanna ask you is, big picture for everybody. And that is, what is the, what is the problem? This is a whole can of worms, but what is the issue with today's modern food supply? 
well, we are no longer living as nature intended. And the best way to sustain you know, a healthy lifestyle is what we put into our body and how our body assimilates what we put in it. And as we are one with our environment, when our Mother Earth starts weeping, our bodies start doing the same. And, you know, we're starting to see on very big levels the fact that we are living with nutrient depleted soils. We are living with over nitrogened uh, seas. And they say that the fishing population, at least in the Adriatic Sea, will be completely gone by the year 2040. That's 20 years from now. Mm. The fact that we have the 5Gs that are emitting these waves that are impacting our endocrine system, the fact that the plastics are not only killing our fish as they're entangled in the plastic, but it's creating uh, xenoestrogens in our body, which are the most disruptive form of estrogens. And when we become estrogen dominant, women have trouble staying pregnant and men have trouble with sperm count. So we're looking at, in terms of just the repopulation and, you know, our species as a whole has a potential impact to it. And so in the wildatarian construct of living as nature intended, it is a call to arms, first and foremost, to be cognizant and an active steward of the larger good, the greater good, by voting with your food dollars, by understanding that the only way back is to stop purchasing that which keeps affecting us in such a negative way affecting us through the purchasing of food, which is riddled with potential carcinogens, that is riddled with pesticides, that is riddled with artificial food dyes and food colors, which we know has such a deleterious impact on our nervous system and our cognitive function, thereby affecting young Americans' ability to learn I live here in the metro Washington, D.C. area, and I was invited to look at military resilience and with beautiful past admirals and colonels. And what we were told is 70% of those eligible for to be inducted into our military services no longer qualify because their health wow. and health doesn't meet standards. And that becomes, you know, that's close to the national security crisis. That's a big deal when we can no longer avail ourselves of our youth to help support our country or our youth to help bring forth innovations and creative thinking because we are no longer able to optimize our cognitive ability. I work with a lot of youth that come to me and they're doing suboptimally in school and what they've been given is a pill for ADHD. And what really was happening was they were hypoglycemic, meaning they, they were sugar dysregulated and they just needed to eat the right foods so the brain could get the sugar it needed so they could learn in school. Oh my God. Well, all right, Terry, you have certainly, certainly freaked us all out here, but I will read a, a quote for actually from straight from your book. You say, I have redefined diet to move it from a low vibration fear-based deprivation state word to one oriented around abundance and mindfulness. So let us have it. What can we do so that we can, we can step through the fear uh, of all of this unknown because there's so much at the 5G, as you mentioned, and all this stuff is, is more than any of us can really wrap our heads around at the moment. But you seem to have a nice system. So what can we do moving forward? I do. And, and thank you for that redirect because, you know, I, these are all truths. But what's so beautiful about this is we each have the individual power to turn it around. Absolutely. We can control this. That's the beautiful thing. It's not out of our control. We are not victims to this. Uh, we have to stop contributing to the, the exacerbation of what's going on. But the beauty of this is most of the diseases in the United States are nutritional diseases. And so, man, we can take back our power. And I say, let's time to reclaim our power. And yes, I agree. I purposefully redefine diet because, again, back to our thought creates the thing. If we're thinking, I'm going to go on a diet, air quote, that means that as soon as I get where I need to be or where I want to be, I'm, I'm getting the heck out of that diet. 
So it's, it's not sustainable. And in redefining it, it also diet is everything we consume in life, not just our food, but how we choose to interact with the food in its preparation. Who do we surround ourselves with in our life? What is the environment that we surround ourselves with? And so going from temporary deprivation, I'm going to get out to switching it to, this is how I live. This is how I breathe. This is how I consume everything around me. And yes, I have the power. I have the power to optimize my well-being. That's a beautiful statement. There's no fear in that. And so all we have to do is just take some simple steps and educate ourselves and then eat to our genetic tendencies and our current state of health and it can be done. I just I just had a woman, I, I collaborate with a wonderful stem cell doctor. He's a brilliant genius out of Carlsbad, California, who's developed a patented therapy on laser-guided stem cells. And he'd asked me to collaborate with this young lady who'd had ulcerative colitis and Crohn's for 15 years, and her bleeding ulcerative colitis could not be uh, sustained. And I, I am not kidding you, Matt. In two and a half weeks, she went into full remission. Wow. From the stem cell treatment? Oh, from our protocol. She's going to take her stem cells tomorrow. We were just trying to get her into some sort of stability so then she can take the stem cells. Amazing. And so this is the power of food. 15 years to two and a half weeks. I just had another young lady who had not had a period for three years. She wants to get pregnant. She's in her mid-30s. Three years, three weeks, she's got a period. And so this is the beauty of this thing. It doesn't have to be that complicated. And the body is just so hungry to be listened to and to be directed in the right way. And it just, it's so happy to, to comply. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. And I hope uh, just as we are all organisms, part of this earth, and we can turn ourselves around so quickly, I certainly hope we can turn the planet around that quickly. Absolutely. I sure hope so. So let's talk about what people can do straight away, even if they have never tested their genetics and they want to just start living through more of this wildatarian approach. What are the first few things you might tell them to do? Well, the first thing is really listen to your body and you don't have to take a genetics test. My quiz took a lot of genetics algorithms, if you will, and simplified it into several questions. And, you know, if you have a history of joint pain, if you have a history of arthritis in your family or history of, of bowel issues, then what's happening in this country is sulfur, sulfur-rich foods, which were meant to be very healthy for us, can be potentially hurting us. And this was the, the case in the woman with the ulcerative colitis. She was taking in a kale smoothie every morning because she was told it's a great phytonutrient and it's going to help you. And it's a smoothie and it's pre-digested, but it was actually tripping her into bleeding and so she was just shocked about these healthy foods that were anything but healthy for her. And so, again, we don't have to be geneticists and we don't have to be biochemists. It's just really understanding what the body is saying. And I believe that the wildatarian approach really speaks to an informed way of understanding you. Okay, great. Now, there are some blanket statements that I know you can make about foods just to stay away from in general. That's, I hate to frame things negatively for people, but doing things like staying away from peanut butter and corn, which I know are two of your pet peeves, yeah. it's just so easy for people. I mean, it's, yeah, sure, it's hard, but it's not that hard. So, if you could talk about a few things people should avoid, and then we can talk about what people should start to add into their diets. Yeah. So my two, I call them the devil on steroids. <laughs> Peanut butter in the United States contains multiple mycotoxins, which are fire starters for insulin dysregulation, for brain dysregulation, for gut dysregulation, for really messing up our microbiome in our gut making bullies in the sandbox, which then we now know that over 70% of our immune system starts in our gut. Almost 90% of the corn grown in the United States is genetically modified. So it's just not real food. There's way other options. And then the peanuts being an aflatoxin and a, also big mycotoxin and is known carcinogen. There are so many other options, whether it's cashew butter or sunflower seed butter or almond butter, you have options and they're they're equally delicious. So peanuts and corn, not my friends. 
And then really I say, if you can't read it, don't eat it. If the ingredients listing has red dye number four and something laurel sulfate with numbers and symbols beyond it, that's not food. And so body doesn't recognize that which is not food and it's creating a toxic burden then the body has to work through. And back to the things that are already in our environment, like the 5Gs and the pesticides and the water not being as clean as we'd like to be. What we want to try to do is control that which we can so we can minimize our toxic burden so then we can we can manage that which is harder to control. So really just eat real food and eat real food that actually should be tied to your, your genetic uh, blueprinting. I don't love anything with artificial food dyes. That's just something that the color should come from the natural color of the food source. Great. So you say eat real food and you have a specific definition of what real food is to you. Some people say, well, yeah, I'll just eat this whatever off the shelf. But you take it to the next level to really to the optimal level, both for human beings and for the planet. Uh, So could you talk a little bit more about why you prefer things like wild game? Yes. So the wildatarian is a name that I actually invented and it is consuming low amyloid, which I'll get to in a minute, low mycotoxin, which are those fungal metabolites found in corn and peanuts and other legumes, uh, sustainably raised wild game, meat, fowl, fish, and certain fruits and legumes that are low mycotoxin and milks and cheeses that have are taken from from animals that are sustainably raised and humanely raised and so this is the whole approach of no pesticides no herbicides and amyloids and so what's so important and I believe I'm very pioneering in this work is that amyloids are these misfolded protein structures that are now contributing to some of the biggest conditions in our country Alzheimer's cancer, kidney disease, autoimmunity. And so what we have found through the clinical research that's out there, and then also through our clinical outcomes, is that when we stop feeding the body these amyloid-rich foods, amyloids found mostly in chicken and then in beef and pork and turkey, and we start feeding the body wild game that are lower in these truncated protein structures, the body's ability to take those proteins and break them down into the necessary amino acids, which is important. It's the centerpiece of life. The body works less hard and it's less inflamed. And so now we know that inflammation is, that's the thing, man. If we're inflamed, we're in trouble. And so by adopting this wildatarian approach, which is minimizing all of these inflammatory uh, bullies, if you will, that can come into our body, and even through potentially healthy food that is working against our genetic blueprinting, then we're really living a life of our maximum potential and nothing is impossible. And as I've mentioned in these two cases, which is not unusual in our practice, that the body is a beautiful thing that can resolve in in what you would think would be impossible real time. Wow. Well, I knew we would get to this point where we were you know, here at Alzheimer's and these neurodegenerative diseases. I think you mentioned cancer before. And most people don't know that the new theory is that these diseases are metabolic dysfunction rather than, you know, these people would look at the symptoms, doctors, very smart people would look at the symptoms like beta amyloid plaques, which they say that's the root cause of Alzheimer's. Except, you know, now there's all this research that, okay, no, maybe Alzheimer's is more like diabetes and it's, people are calling it the type three diabetes. And so there's all this information out there, but the person listening to this right now is like, okay, I don't want to get those diseases. I don't want to get cancer. I don't want to have neurodegenerative disease. We've all been impacted by people who have these diseases. So what can you encourage your friends and family to do? And I'm, I'm going to ask the question within the confines of their grocery store, because 
It takes just a little extra work for them to go to the farmer's market and a little extra work for them to, you know, I just got on U.S. wellness meats for the first time. And I'm so excited to have now bison and elk and duck and all these amazing foods in my refrigerator. And it's so easy to cook. And, you know, I can't believe I ever did anything differently. But let's, this person who's just going to go to their grocery store, what can they do? to make sure that they are adhering and complying to your diet as, as best as possible. So chicken, I called the dirty bird. It's actually the bird we dirtied. We're now seeing how insulin dysregulating chicken is, how in the clinical research, it has the highest amyloid count. And what we're seeing, it's not just amyloids that come from the body that are naturally homeostatic mechanisms for inflammation so then the body can fight something. These are atypical amyloid generations that are coming, being contributed from our food supply. So instead of chicken, you can choose Cornish game hen. Instead of beef, choose bison. And this is these are at the grocery stores. You can choose lamb. You can choose fish, wild caught fish or shellfish. You can choose to go plant-based. And I know you heard me on the um, Bulletproof podcast where Dave and I were you know, eschewing the, the evils of black beans because it's a high oxalate. And, you know, and for Dave and I, those things don't work for us. But if you don't have an oxalate issue, certain beans and rice can be a really great, a very economic, a complete protein when you blend them together or combining some pinto beans with quinoa or putting in some cilantro on top of those beans that are going to create a liver detoxifying resource for you or putting sea salt on your food because those that's so highly mineralized, which is so important because we become demineralized living the standard American lifestyle, which is so stress filled. And so really looking to understanding that, yes, our grocery stores have these beautiful little gems of phytonutrients and the right kinds of proteins and the right kinds of minerals and vitamins right there. But the thing is, we don't see what we don't know. And so we can walk past certain aisles at the grocery store and not recognize that there was this kudzu in the Asian aisle, which is actually a high alkalizing agent. And can you can use that to thicken your soup rather than cornstarch, which we've already said corn is no bueno. Or that, wow, there's a really interesting yucca root that is so good because it helps with breaking down ammonia, which is very deleterious for the brain, speaking of Alzheimer's, but it also impacts kidney function. And that ammonia is a burden from undigested protein. So if we're going to have protein that isn't great for us, pair it with yucca. Okay. Which is really inexpensive, you know, and so we don't have to break the bank around this. There are things that you can use oatmeal that is so good with its beta-glucans in terms of pulling the hormones and helping cholesterol and clearing that colon. Again, using that with some fresh or frozen berries or slicing some papaya on it. And why is papaya so important? We don't have to all go to the medicine cabinet. Papaya contains papain. Papain is a very important digestive enzyme. So if you're not breaking down your protein, have some papaya before your dinner, and that's going to be a natural form of digestive support. Another thing is apple cider vinegar with the mother. Why is apple cider vinegar so important? Well, it's a prebiotic that helps feed the probiotics in our gut to diversify the population in our gut. It helps produce hydrochloric acid, which helps fight those little buggers, those pathogens that I talked about earlier. They need acid in order to be broken down. It serves, again, as a protein aid. I start my morning with a little bit of a capful of apple cider vinegar in my green juice. So it's really simple. We look to looking at things differently. What is really there? What can I really find in my grocery shelves that are just have been saying, hello, I'm here, <laughs> but we didn't even know it was there? This is really great information, and uh, I will try to do my best to link up a lot of these resources on the show notes. Of course, your book. I have a new website, mattwilson.co, and I'm going to try to take everything that we've we've learned here today and, and put relevant links so people can go out and just start and get this stuff. And, and Terry, I have my 
pressure cooker coming for Christmas. I know that is one of your staples uh, for producing really good food quickly. And as a friend who is a much better cook than I am said, yeah, you should get that because it's really hard to screw things up. And (laughs) I'm really excited about that. I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, you talk about getting wild in five, which I mean, yesterday, uh, okay, I won't, I won't answer the question for you. I have a fun example of something that I took from your diet and, and just said, oh God, I just need to eat dinner real quick. And I was able to whip it up in two minutes. But the big roadblock for most people is the time that it takes. She's, they're thinking, oh, geez, I have this big list now. Where do I find all this stuff? And, and it gets to be overwhelming for people. So if we want to break it down to the, these five-minute meals, these 15-minute meals, what would you tell people? Okay, so the first thing you do is you have to wilditarianize your kitchen, right? So a pressure cooker is one, a cast iron skillet is another, a really good sharp knife is a third, and an eco-friendly cutting board. So you're not cutting into plastic, which then you're going to eat it. So those are kind of staples in that. But being wild in five, as I say, you can prep or cook a meal in five minutes or less. And so, for example, last night I had a very long night and I took my bison sirloin and I cut it into strips and I put it in my cast iron skillet with my wilditarian herbs and I seared it and I'd had butternut squash that it was already cubed for me and I, I boiled it for about five minutes and then I took it and I put Kerrygold butter on it and I had that with my bison. It was incredible. And on Sundays when you have a little bit more time, that's what I call, this is multiple meal making. So I can prep for soup making in about seven minutes, right? I'll chop my vegetables and I'll put my bison or my Cornish game hen in there, but I do extra, right? So bison that'll go in the soup or hen that'll go in the soup. But then I take, when it's done, I'll take the excess bison. I shred it. I'll put barbecue sauce on it. I just have bison barbecue or I'll add a can of beans to it that then I can warm up with a brown rice that in three minutes I can have a meal in two days with that. Those are what I call my convertible meals. And so it's really getting creative. And then if I make a a pot of beans with my pressure cooker, which I've timed, it takes me about 38 seconds to put water and salt and pepper and the beans in there and close that pressure cooker. And then I go upstairs and take a shower in the morning. And by the time I'm done and ready to go to work, my meal is done, right? So it was a 30 second investment (laughs) and the the rest. And then later on in the week, if I've had vegetables, let's say I sauteed zucchinis and sweet potatoes and butternut squash, and I will combine that with the rice that I had, the brown rice that I had and the beans that I already made, I wrap that in with, and then all the vegetables, a little bit of salsa, some wonderful manchego cheese and a brown rice tortilla, and then some more salsa and cheese. And I stick it in the oven. I have a casserole and that took about five minutes. And again, it's already made. I just stick it in the oven for 30 minutes as I'm opening up my mail and getting getting myself set from the day. It's all set and it's a one-stop shop. So it was easy cleanup. And then for the next day, I will put it into my mason jar because I use my mason jars to stick my lunch in. I you know, put the top on and then when I get here, not perfect, microwave it isn't great, but if you're clean everywhere else, I take my mason jar, stick it in the microwave and then I eat my lunch from it. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was going to share that I try not to eat too late into the evening. And so if I come home from the gym and it's a little bit later, I try to eat light so I can sleep better. And I was just kind of, oh, geez, you know, one of those days, what do I eat? And I looked and thanks to you, I'm back on chickpeas, garbanzos. So I pulled some of those, opened up the can. You know, I chopped a little bit of celery in there. A little apple cider vinegar, a little bit of olive oil. You can season it with, you know, oregano and uh, forgetting the English word, romero. Rosemary. Yeah, rosemary. Thank you. Uh, a little bit of, little bit of sea salt, and you know, I took from Thrive Market. Yeah, I get canned wild caught salmon. Put that in there. You, you know, there's so many good avocado oil based uh, mayonnaises that you can do in it. It takes. Two, three minutes, some of those Mary's crackers. 
Yeah, based from flax seeds, I think. And it's just really was just an easy, easy meal. And it was delicious too. We, I mean, we're not talking about substituting any, I mean, this is, this is really amazing food. So thank you for, for publishing the, the recipes. I'm, once my pressure cooker comes, I'm excited to dive more into those. And I had one final question for you, and it's on the nerdier uh, science side of things. So I try to leave them to the end just in case we lose anybody in, in the depths. But I think a lot of people listening out there have at the very least checked their 23andMe data. And when you get this data back, you see things, they make these bold statements like, hey, you are more likely to have uh, macular degeneration, which is, is one of mine. So I try to take a little extra precautions for my eyes. One of them is that my genetics say that I'm a slower metabolizer of caffeine. So I try to lay off the caffeine a little bit more than I would like to because I was very addicted for a very, very long time. And another one you know, is the saturated fat one. And so I really feel good, for example, when I eat a lot of ghee and a lot of coconut oils and the saturated fats. And it says that I could perhaps weigh more, which I don't even mind, to be honest, but I am concerned about my heart and the health of of my heart when it comes to saturated fats. And so my point is, is when you see these kind of broad recommendations by something like 23andMe, I know that you do genetic testing in the same way and you're able to see so many things that you looked at in your book, whether it's the the metabolizing sulfurs and and oxalates and, and all of these things. And so I know that you can test genetically, but part of it is, as I understand, if your body is expressing for those genes, if you're actually having symptoms for these things. And so I get a little scared off by the genetics because I will then go, for example, on your website, you have the tests and all right. So I went through all the tests and I don't have a whole lot of symptoms. I know I have, um, well, (laughs) oversharing at this point with our audience, but battling some candida right now. And, you know, I have some symptoms, some skin stuff and gastric distress. But my question for you, Terry, is how much emphasis do you put on, hey, my genes say that I should stay away from saturated fats or whatever you found out in in your genetics versus, hey, I, I feel fine doing keto or I feel fine eating kale, the oxalates, or, or where do you make that call and how do you balance this type of thing? I think that's a really good question. I think we can go down a rabbit hole with genetics alone because mm-hmm. they are just our tendencies. They're not our destiny. And this is where we really understand. And this is where you might need the, the support of, you know, a, a professional around this, because I don't just look at one thing. You might have an issue with saturated fat, but you may have another issue that you really need some good essential fatty acids for another allele. Like if you have the apogene, which is the one that goes to Alzheimer's, you're going to need yeah. those essential acids for your brain. So it really depends on looking at the constellation. It's never one thing in isolation. It's looking at the the aggregation of things. And then it's looking at what are my symptoms and how do I really feel time over time when I eat this thing, right? If I eat my kale smoothie and I get joint pains by 10 o'clock, that's a real important feedback loop. And my genetics are very, I call it the trifecta of hell if you look at all my genes, because I've got all the genes that give me potentially a bad thing. And my father's side of the family hasn't made it really past, my dad passed at 67, his parents in their 50s. And so it's been a very short lifespans on my dad's side and with a lot of diabetes and heart disease and all of that. And so with me, you know, I look at my, my current state of health, and I'm navigating those genes very well. And so it's really understanding. And for example, I have a gene that says I can't break down fat, but I know if I don't eat fat, my brain doesn't work because I have other genes that require my insulin to stay stable and I need fat for that insulin. So what I do know is that it's just a piece of information and it's something that we can be mindful about, but this is where we don't hit that fear button. This is where we hit the pause button and say, how can I get better informed? 
And so that's the thing. It's all a practice. And when the body really, when we really start tuning in, just like I said earlier, when we don't know what we don't know, we don't see what's on our grocery shelves because we didn't know it was there, right? When we don't know what our body is telling us because we didn't know how to interpret the signals, having a conscious awareness around that and really tuning in is the start of really understanding how your body's functioning. Well, I think that's a, a fantastic answer. And uh, I have to let you go here, I'm, I'm sure. But I think it's so important that people like yourself are, can sort through things as a third party for people because you can also just know too much for your own good. And uh, I, I feel like I've gotten to that point because I have the APOE24 and the MTFHR gene and the COMPT and uh, you know all this stuff that it doesn't look good. And my dad has a, a rare form of, of dementia, progressive supernuclear palsy, and my grandfather died of Alzheimer's. So I'm not messing around with this stuff. So I might have to actually just book an appointment with you so you can you can help me out. But for anybody who wants to make sure they read your book and perhaps get in touch with you and use you as a resource if they're looking to improve their own health or just follow you on social media, you have a lot of really great stuff. Where can they get in touch with you? So terrycochran.com, T-E-R-I-C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E.com. That's my website, which will take you everywhere. And then my book is on Amazon, The Wildatarian Diet. It just got picked up by a Polish publisher. So we're going to be published in Poland. All right. That's really, we're going international. And just really know that we provide just a breadth of information. One of my missions as this became my life's purpose is to really go out and educate because I felt that's how I became my son's solution is through education and through learning. Well, Terry, thank you for educating us all today. I, I really appreciate your time. Oh, my great pleasure. Have a wonderful day.